Today's episode of Behind the Numbers is brought to you by Hayfley Flanagan. Hayfley Flanagan is a full-service accounting firm that's been serving our clients since 1967. We are not your typical accounting firm. Our services extend well beyond tax and audit to include valuation services, strategic and succession planning, leadership development, and more. When you work with Hayfley Flanagan, we help you realize your long-term goals. Learn more at hfco.com or call 856-722-5300. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder, and welcome to the show where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. So if you're a business owner or entrepreneur, one of the topics that's always on your mind is taxes. And today we're going to be talking about some strategies on how you can lower your tax bill. And I'm pleased to do that with Dave Gill, who's a partner at Hayfley Flanagan. Dave, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. It's a pleasure. This is going to be a fun topic, I'm sure, but I want to make sure that folks know who you are first. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and who you serve? No problem. I'm a partner at Hayfley Flanagan. I've been there for about 13 years. been a partner for about six years. Um, we deal with um, privately held companies that want to grow. Um, a lot of my time is spent in the real estate construction space, and you know we really help businesses lower their taxes and grow their company. Nice. Let's get into it then about the strategies for lowering taxes. So one of the things that I've always been taught, and and I'm not an accountant and I'm certainly not a tax guy by any means, but tax planning is something that happens kind of throughout the year. At the beginning of the year, you set your strategy. But it does seem like as we get into Q4 that there's a, a big push. Is that chaos or is there something strategic going on there? There is a lot of strategy that happens in the fourth quarter. Uh, you do set your set your plans up in the beginning of the year, um, but you want to make sure you're checking them throughout the year. And when you get to the fourth quarter, it's kind of your final push to make sure you have everything in line with really how you want to go forward, what your plans are. Do you want to recognize more income? Are there ways to lower your income going into the year? You know, What are those strategies that you want to implement? Make sure they're in place. Yeah, so just to help the audience kind of parse that Q4 push, how do we think about this Q4 push to kind of finalize things relative to earlier in the year when we're setting the overall framework for execution? Right, so early, early in the year you set things up, you kind of start going through. When you get to the fourth quarter, you have a better idea of where you're going to end up numbers wise, where your profit's going to be. You know, what have you done throughout the year? How has it impacted your year as you come up to the fourth quarter? You have a pretty good number idea of where your numbers are. And then from there, it's pushing forward and figuring out how to, how to finish strong. Get across the finish line. So as we get to this Q4 push, uh, I imagine record keeping is an important process here, right? Talk a little bit about that. It is. So, you know, we spend a lot of time helping a lot of our smaller clients figure out how to, um, you know, make sure their books are in line. You know, you have a lot of small business owners that, you know, the owner might be doing the books or, you know, the owner's spouse may be doing the books or somebody who picked up the phones to start. Now they go into the role of a bookkeeper. So we spend a lot of time going out during the year, helping people clean up their books, making sure their books are in line. And then from there, once we have a good set of books, then we can have an idea of where the numbers are and how do we then implement our strategies to make sure our strategies are going to help them 
minimize their taxes as much as possible. I'm going to have you do a little public service announcement for business owners out there because throughout my career, I've seen a lot of garbage data. Um, sure. Why don't you tell the folks why it really matters to have good, solid record keeping? What, what's, what's the upside? What's the downside? I mean, you really need the good record keeping to really run your business. Without good numbers, you don't know where you are. If you don't know where you are, you can't make informed decisions for the business to, run, to go forward. Yeah. And the locations of the companies that you're working with, Dave, are they generally in a certain geography? I mean, we're around the Philadelphia area, um, you know, South Jersey, Philadelphia, Philadelphia suburbs. That's about where we are. And does the location of a business impact anything with regard you know, to tax implications? In regard to tax implications? It does. So there's a lot of state-specific information that you might need. Mm-hmm. So depending on what states you're operating in, it makes it more complicated. And the more states you operate in, the more you end up um, you know, having to file in those different states. Gotcha. I, I know one of the things that you wanted to make sure that we talked about today was a reporting threshold for cash versus accrual. Tell the audience, what does that mean? What did I even just ask you? And then can you explain yeah. what that importance actually is? So, so we spend a lot of time... Um, you know, really planning for lowering taxes. When, when businesses try to operate, most businesses that get to any size end up operating on what's called an accrual based. So you have AR, which is accounts receivable, you have accounts payable, you have other things that are accrual based, which aren't the cash that you got in or aren't the, ca- isn't the cash that you paid out. Um, if you're operating your business, most businesses are operating on that threshold. A few years back, you used to be able to the threshold was a lot lower for converting to a cash basis. So for a cash basis, for filing taxes, so separate the two. For accrual base, to operate your business, you run on accrual. A lot of our clients do a conversion to cash and actually have a set of books converted to cash to file for tax purposes. And the threshold used to be around $5 million. Now that threshold's up to around $25 million or $26 million for most companies. So many of our clients, although they operate during the year on a accrual base, we convert for tax purposes to cash. And with cash, we can do a lot more tax planning to help them lower taxes going forward. Interesting. Good stuff. Um, I want to talk to you about something I actually read this morning about timing of purchases of equipment. I think the article was talking about a Section 179 or something like that. And it made me think, this is great. I've got a tax guy coming into the studio today. Uh, I'm not trying to put you on the spot to talk about this 179 thing, but I did want to ask you about the timing of purchases uh, sure. and, and how that can be important from a tax planning perspective. So Section 179 is a tax deduction for equipment. Um, years ago, we used to use Section 179 a lot. Um, it gets a one-time bonus deduction in year one. So most of the time, if you buy buy this table that we have in front of us, this table would probably be depreciated over five or seven years. If it qualifies for one, Section 179, you could take that whole deduction in the one year. So instead of, instead of taking the deduction rateably over five years, you get all the deduction in one year. We used to use Section 179 a lot. And then what happened is there was a tax act that happened and they put bonus depreciation in. Bonus depreciation for a lot of assets was the same as Section 179, where you could take 100% bonus depreciation in year one. We switched over to have a lot of clients start taking bonus depreciation because Section 179 depreciation has a lot of caveats and a lot of different thresholds you have to pass before you can get that Section 179 depreciation. So we switched to bonus depreciation for many clients. This year, starting in, in 2023, Bonus depreciation is no longer 100%, it's now 
So this year we will start having a lot more clients that we didn't take Section 179 for in the past. We'll start taking it this year for clients. Yeah, and I just want to touch on and clarify this bonus depreciation now at 80%. We're beginning the, the decline to eliminating bonus depreciation, Correct. right? So it's going to be 20% per year until it's eliminated. Or somebody new gets into the White House and Congress and they change it again. Gotcha. Dave, for folks who are watching and listening and want to learn more about you or how they can connect with you, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Um, the best way to get in contact is you can go on our website, which is hfco.com, or you could reach out to me at dave.gill at hfco.com. That's great. Um, this may seem like a no-brainer, uh, but I want to talk to you about something that I, I think is slipping through the cracks from a number of business owners' standpoint, and that is communicating with advisors, uh, keeping people in the loop throughout the year, and when involved in a transaction, for example, keeping all the constituent parts, you know, lawyer, accountant, valuation expert, in the loop. Talk a little bit about, again, maybe this is another PSA, but talk to a little, little bit to the audience about the importance of the communication chain. Yeah, it, it, it is imperative, you know, for, to keep all of your advisors in the loop. We actually try to structure a lot of our interactions with our clients and the way that we you know, structure our fees so that we have that communication ongoing. So we, we end up with communication all the time with clients. Um, you know, we set up a lot of our fee structures when we go in and, and propose on an engagement where we try to, we try to scope out the work up front and have a monthly retainer. So we'll do a monthly retainer. And what happens for our clients is, you know, they pick up the phone and they call us. And that's the best approach for us in the world to do because if they pick up the phone and call us, we know what they're doing up front instead of at the end when we come in and do a tax return or a financial statement. And then we see that what they did, we could have helped them structure that better and saved money or accounted for it in a different way, which would, you know, now we have to undo and spend more time undoing what they did or helping them try to do, you know, post year end planning is a lot harder than, than planning during, during the year. Yeah, I've seen that movie a lot. The uh, oh, by the way, did I did I forget to tell you that we did this thing in Q two? Mm -hmm. And yeah, now here we are at year end, and we've got to unwind things. How do we figure out how to yeah change it exactly? So you heard the man communicate with your advisors, Dave. You got to sit tight. Don't go anywhere. We're going to have to take a quick commercial break here. You watching and listening? Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode of Behind the Numbers is brought to you by Hayfley Flanagan. Hayfley Flanagan is a full-service accounting firm that's been serving our clients since 1967. We are not your typical accounting firm. Our services extend well beyond tax and audit to include valuation services, strategic and succession planning, leadership development, and more. When you work with Hayfley Flanagan, we help you realize your long-term goals. Learn more at hfco.com or call 856-722-5300. It takes something special to dive into the unknown. To face the unpredictable and unlock the mysteries that await beyond. Something tough, reliable, to fuel your confidence where elements seem to conspire to blur your senses. An unwavering ally, relentlessly field-tested by the pioneers who ventured there before. It was constantly perfected over time. For those who push their limits always further, 
and shine an ever new light on our world. The Submariner. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking about strategies to lower your taxes with Dave Gill, who's a partner at Hayfley Flanagan. Dave, a lot of really good information there in that first segment. I want to start this second segment um, with a conversation that I just recently had with a business owner. And she reached out because there was a number of things that she needed from an accounting firm. And her existing provider really isn't able to help her. And she's starting to come to this realization that Maybe she's outgrowing them. And she had this guilt about it. And I tried to reassure her that it happens all the time. It's a natural evolution. But why don't you comment on that, the, the experience of outgrowing one's accounting firm? Yeah, I mean, that's not uncommon at all in this business. Um, you know, we are a, a regional firm. We're about 55 people. Um, we're usually not the first accounting firm that most companies have. We usually come in once a company has started They've outgrown their first, their first accounting firm. So they get to a point where they're a little more sophisticated. They're not just going and getting a tax return done at the end of the year. They need ongoing planning. They need ongoing support. They need different kind of support than what a single sole proprietor can, can, can do. Um, and that's where we end up stepping in. And that's how we end up, you know, helping clients who've gotten past the first hurdle. They've started their business. They've started to become successful. Now they have to figure out how to grow their business from there. And that's a lot of times where we step in and that's where we end up getting clients from. Yeah. And is this something that business owners should sort of be thinking about at the beginning of their, their engagement with their first accounting firm, so to speak, that there, there is going to be this growth and evolution and to plan for it? Or is there a, a triggering event that typically um, results in people making that move? I mean, most of the time there seems to be a triggering event. They seem to start to understand when they outgrow their accountant, mm -hmm. um, you know, when they're not getting the service or, you know, they get to a point where, you know, they're asking questions and, you know, the, the accountant who is doing their accounting or tax at that point, you know, can't answer the question or needs to, you know, figure out how to get somebody else involved. A lot of times that's when they, they get an idea that it's not really, they've outgrown that person at that point. Yeah, and it's a natural evolution, and it happens all the time. All the time. So if she's watching and listening, there's, there you go. You got reassurance from another expert on that one. Uh, are you okay if we switch gears and talk about real estate? Sure. You mentioned at the top of the program that you're involved in the real estate space as well. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about who you serve in the real estate space. Yeah, so I deal with a lot of developers, uh, construction companies, um, rental, um, residential, and, and mixed-use space. 
um, you know, a lot of people that, that are in that space. Right. And one of the issues that I think I've seen over the course of my career is um, issues around multiple entities. Is that something you see? Sure. I mean, we do this a lot. So um, for a lot of times for liability purposes, they'll end up setting up multiple entities to um, separate liability. So if you have, you know, an apartment complex and you have another apartment complex on the other side of town, you'll have two entities in order to separate the liability of both apartments. Okay. Um, what, if anything, can you share with the audience in terms of things that you've seen where when, when your client told you about it or when you saw it, you thought, oh, God, I wish you didn't do it that way. What can we uh, forewarn people about and mistakes that they shouldn't be making? Um, I, I think one of the big mistakes is, you know, going in and, and, you know, a lot of times I've come in and I've seen you know, entrepreneurs who are getting into real estate and they end up putting, you know, a whole bunch of different activities into one entity. And then what happens is, you know, they have, a lot of them don't want to, um, you know, there's a cost sometimes for getting things out of entities and moving them around and restructuring. Um, so a lot of times if they can, if they have their ideas in place and they, they get with an attorney or accountants early and can structure things properly, it makes going forward a lot easier. Yeah. And just to clarify, when you say that there's uh, various activities or multiple activities in one entity, what, what are those types of activities? So they could have, you know, three different real estate holdings in one, in one, let's say LLC or, or, uh, in a corporation. They could have, you know, a management company in there, they could also be doing construction and they're all doing it under one umbrella, um, which sometimes gets costly to spin that off and get those out. Okay. So be mindful of that, folks. You heard it from the man. Uh, one of the other um, things that, that I've seen throughout my career where clients have taken advantage of is something called a cost segregation study. Is that something that you do? Is that sure. something? Why, why don't you tell so, the audience what that is? So what a cost segregation study is. So today we're we're in a, a big um, studio, and the studio is a building. So a lot of times, um, if you buy a building and you are going to use it for non-residential rental, it's depreciated over 39 years. So you buy a building, you spend a million dollars on a building, and then you have to depreciate that over 39 years. What a cost segregation study is, is if you go in, you have an engineer go in, and they look at the components of the building, you can separate that out and get faster depreciation on that. So instead of depreciating that over 39 years, a lot of times a cost segregation study can take 15 to 20% of that cost. So in a million dollar building, it could take $200,000 and put that anywhere from a five year or to 15 year depreciation life, which under the tax laws we have right now could be 80% could be depreciated in year one. So instead of taking the whole million dollars, you could accelerate you know, let's say $200,000 of that and depreciate that in year one. And the impact for the business owner is what? It's about, most of the time it's 35%. So if you get a deduction, about 35% of that could be back in your pocket as a de deduction and, and taxes you won't have to pay. Gotcha. So when you're, when you're working with real estate entities, uh, I want to talk funding, uh, financing. So a little different than maybe a traditional cash flow business type lending situation. Uh, how are real estate companies looked at from a lending and funding perspective? Yeah, so most of the time they're looking at the assets they're buying and the assets they hold. 
So again, this building, they would be looking at the value of the building and they would lend based off of that value. Okay, and so how often should somebody get an appraisal of, of their buildings, for example? Most of the time, um, if they have an idea that their building is worth more and they want to try to refinance, most of the time that's when the valuations and the appraisals go in place. Okay, and what about interest rates? And, and I mean, right, right now interest we're- Interest rates are not great. Yeah, and right now as we're filming this, interest rates are not great. So how do, how do business owners in the real estate right. space so, navigate that? So over the last year, um, we've seen a lot of, of developments that started over, over a year ago are being finished. Right now with rates rising the way they are, uh, a lot of new um, developments are not happening. They're all being put on hold to kind of see what happens with rates and, and if they do go down. I mean, is there, I mean, obviously you don't want to borrow at high rates if you can help it, but there, there are times where businesses need access to capital and the markets are what they are. Um, any advice for planning around how they can maybe consider looking into a crystal ball and making some strategic decisions if that's even possible? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you want to stay as nimble and flexible as you possibly can. Um, you know, shorter term notes, if possible, um, would probably help give them the flexibility to do things in the future. Okay. Dave, for folks who are watching and listening and wanting to learn more about you or how they can work with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? You can reach me at my email is dave.gill at hfco.com or on our website, which is www.hfco.com. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball. And, and I want to talk to you about the, the general market for office space. You know, as we've come out of the pandemic and a lot of companies are doing work from home and hybrid things, uh, commercial real estate uh, ain't what it used to be. No, it's not. So what, what, what are you seeing? So it's interesting you say that. You say that. I just read um, a couple weeks ago that one of the big buildings in Center City, Philadelphia, which a law firm used to own, um, recently was sold. And I believe the sale price was 50% of what the appraisal was um, a few years back. So they literally sold for half of what they thought the building was worth um, because of the space. And, and, and I think what they're going to do with that space is convert it to residential, but because of that, the value goes down at the sale because there's just not a mar market for it. Yeah, the demand for uh, for office space is certainly declining. I mean, you're seeing that all over. You're seeing, you know, especially a lot of the big law firms in Philadelphia, you know, they're going up and they're renewing their, their lease and they're getting half the space they had before. Right. You know, everybody's working from home. They're doing, um, you know, they're doing office sharing. Um, they're completely, you know, even if they're coming in a few days a week, they're spreading that out so they don't need the space. Yeah. Are there any pockets of opportunity then, since it's not commercial office space, where, where, where's the money moving to now? Um, right now, there's, it's really an industrial. I mean, if you look around and you look at a lot of the developments that are going on, in, you know, you're seeing a lot of industrial flex space um, that seems to be the really hot area for development. Um, every time I drive around, it seems like there's another warehouse that Amazon or somebody else like that's going to go into, and they're they're building more and more and more of those. Yeah. Um, can I put you on the spot? And I'm going to give you a chance to sort of humble brag. But um, I, was, I was talking with one of your employees, and I was letting them know that, that you were going to be on the program. And uh, as a kind of background for me, I asked them, so what can you tell me about this guy, Dave Gill, who's coming on my show? I'm, I'm and, afraid of what you're, where you're going with this. Nah, that's all good. They, <laughs> and they, they actually said, um, the thing you need to know about Dave Gill is he actually cares about his clients. 
And um, that really resonates. And I just wanted to give you a chance to talk about the, the client experience and why why you care about your clients and, and what that means in terms of what, what their experience for customer service. I mean, the, the reason I got into this business and the reason why I continue in public accounting is I have a real need and desire to help people. And I can really help people by understanding what they're doing. And I've seen so many things over the 25 years I've been in public accounting. I've seen what's worked for companies. I've seen what hasn't worked for companies. So by going in and, and understanding their business, learning what they do, and caring about what they do, I can help them try to figure out how to implement the best structure, um, the best ideas, let them know things that have happened. And you know, if they, if they do better, I can have, end up helping them do better. You know, I get a better client. And when they're not doing as well, I lose sleep over it because I feel like I haven't helped them the way I should. Yeah, and I, look, I, I hope that you folks out there watching and listening are Dave Gill clients or want to be Dave Gill clients because I think, I think it was Maya Angelou that said, uh, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And uh, that's really your secret sauce. So if you're not telling people that, make sure you let them know. Okay, thank da you. Dave Gill, the accountant who, the accountant who cares. So I, I want to ask you again, sort of to put you on the spot, but not really. Um, we, we've covered some advice that you've shared with uh, business owners, but are, are there particular tips that, that you might think of as we're sitting here right now that business owners and entrepreneurs who are watching and listening right now can take away actionable as they're thinking about planning for next year? I mean, as we're sitting here, I mean, next year is an election year. So you want to make sure that you are as nimble as possible, um, that you can make changes quickly. Um, you know, who knows who's going to win the election? I mean, that's the good thing about what I do is it doesn't matter what side wins the election. There's always going to be changes that happen. Um, and my job is to figure out what changes happen and help clients through it, help them figure out how to plan. So, you know, keep things as short as possible, um, you know, figure out, you know, what you can do going forward to be as nimble as possible. When you say keep things as short as possible, what are you referring uh, you to? You know, trying to get into to deals, make sure that you're, you know, if you're going to go out and refinance with rates as high as they are, see if you can get, you know, a shorter time frame on, on your refinance. Um, you know, see if you can have the ability to, if laws change and if rates come down, you can be able to change things. Yeah, I just heard the other day that the Fed uh, is signaling that they may actually cut rates three times next year. That would be a good start. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's kind of a good do. Uh, how about a couple of don'ts? <laughs> what do you want to tell people to stop doing? What are the, the, the horror stories that you've seen that you wish you could have said, don't do that? I mean, for a lot of my real small clients, it's making sure that they have captured all of their um, income and expenses. So, you know, make sure you put structures in place that you are, you know, like we said earlier, that you actually have a good set of books and that you can actually, you know, be able to go forward and do planning based off a good set of books. Yeah. Awesome, Dave. I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Behind the Numbers. Thanks for having me. It goes very quickly here. And I want to thank you for watching and listening. I can't do the program without you. And of course, a big thank you to Hayfley Flanagan for sponsoring today's episode of Behind the Numbers. Be sure to check them out, as Dave said, at hfco.com. My name is Dave Bookbinder. You can find me on LinkedIn, and I am always happy to have a conversation. I'm known for helping my clients and valuing their businesses and intellectual property assets. That's all we have for today, folks. We'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care.